We uh, dedicated um, little uh, Nicholas uh, Bollinger, Nikki. Uh, he's a little, oh, he's about, I think, nine or ten months old. And it was so sweet. Uh, when at the end of, as you know, a dedication or a baptism, we hold up the child and we say, Behold what manner of love the Father has given us, that we should be, be called the children of God. And so we are. And as I held him up, he's just kind of looking all over the, he was like Simba, you know. And you're just looking all over the congregation, and just it was just so wonderful. And to know that this child, one of his first memories will be that of being held up before the church of Jesus Christ and receiving the blessing of the church. And I just wanted to tell you that because it just really impacted me in the first service. And we try to do most of our dedications and baptisms in the second service, but this one we uh, did early. And it was just such a wonderful time to celebrate the life of that child. And, and, and I also took that opportunity to tell the first service. Our first service is very full, and we have our children's areas are very full over there, especially in the smaller classroom or the smaller children's classrooms. And I just told the first service, hey, if you're a young family and you don't want to get up early, come to second service, because second service is awesome. But when we've got plenty of room for people and got plenty of room in the children's areas. So I uh, thank you for being here and uh, celebrating what God is doing in our church. So we are in our third week of this study in the book of 2 Corinthians. The title of the study is Be Encouraged. And um, I hope that you're encouraged in this study. And I've challenged you to do two things. The first thing, I have challenged each of you to read the book of 2 Corinthians every week. Now, it takes about Oh, 20 to 35 minutes, depending on how fast you read. Uh, Sherry says she reads slower. Actually, she doesn't read slower. She just pays attention to what she's reading. I read very fast. And, uh, and, but you can read that in a day, or you can take two chapters a day, and just one on Sunday, and there's 13 chapters, and you read that book every week, and you will be impacted by the truth. The second thing we've asked you to do is to use our sermon notes. Sermon notes are the first two pages. The second two pages are going deeper questions. And the going deeper questions are to help you in your grow group, and they're to help you in your personal study, and maybe study devotions at home. But we want to encourage you, if you want to go deeper in the text, and go deeper in your faith in Jesus Christ, we just challenge you uh, to do that. So let's review the first two weeks. Um, the first week, we talked about how that God wants to bring comfort and encouragement to each and every one of us. He wanted to bring comfort and encouragement to the church in Corinth that was under severe persecution. And he wanted to comfort them and encourage them. And in the same way, he wants to comfort and encourage you and I. And the reason he wants to do that is so that you will receive God's comfort, but then so that you could pass on that comfort and encouragement to others. So as you receive the comfort and grace of God, God wants you to pass that on to other believers and encourage them as well. So that was week number one. Last week, we looked at Paul's word in the first chapter, the second half of the first chapter, Paul's word, the ultimate yes. Paul said yes to the church at Corinth. He said, yes, I love you. Yes, I'm committed to you. Yes, I want joy and faith and grace to fill your lives. And the reason Paul said I can tell yes to you is because God in Jesus Christ, in all of his promises, has said yes to me. 
In every promise God made in the Old Testament, in every promise God makes in the New Testament, that promise is a resounding yes and amen to every single promise in Jesus Christ. Paul says yes to forgiveness. Jesus says, yes, is there any way that I can be assured of God's presence in my life? Can I know that he'll stay with me and he'll be with me all the time? The answer is, yes, you can know that. Yes, you will live forever. Yes, you matter to God. Yes, his love is unconditional. Yes, yes, yes. And that's what we looked at uh, last Lord's Day. Now, today we're beginning chapter 2. And the theme that Paul writes about in the first part of chapter 2 is the theme of forgiveness. And I can't tell you a more powerful teaching than the teaching that we have in God's Word about forgiveness. And so this morning, I'll tell you right up front what my prayer for you is. My prayer is that you will receive the forgiveness of God and that you will extend that forgiveness to those who have hurt you and to those you have hurt that you will make amends and bless them by asking forgiveness of them. So that's where we're going, and I hope that you'll go along this journey and you'll receive God's truth for each and every one of you today. So let me tell you about Paul's situation in the first century in Corinth by telling you a situation I faced when I was first a pastor. So I just graduated from North Park Seminary in 1978, and I had accepted a call to a church, a relatively small church, about 150 people in San Diego, which was a great blessing to Sherry and I because we were both from San Diego, and that meant that our children, while they were small, would be around their grandparents. So that was all cool. So I accepted this call to Mount McGill Covenant Church in Spring Valley, California, a suburb of San Diego. And uh, I got there, and I was excited. And I'm 29 years old. I had absolutely no clue what I was doing, which is great, because that way you just kind of go for it. And it was just awesome, and it was everything I wanted. And then the first week, the chairman of the board... We would call that person in our, in our polity, we would call that person the chairman of the church or the chairman of the board of elders, but in those days it was the chairman of the board of the church called a special meeting the first week I was there. And I didn't know what it was about, but that's cool. I thought maybe they just wanted to welcome the new pastor. But So we got together, all the deacons and the trustees and the leaders of the church, and I'm there, and the chairman of the board said, we have something going on in our church that we have to address. There's a man who was a deacon, which means a spiritual leader in our church, who left his wife and was living with another woman, and uh, it was just a big mess. And this man, he was a leader in our church. And so I asked the the board, I said, "Um, well, um, did you just find out about this this last week, or when did you find out about this? Oh, no, we've known about it for like six or seven months. And I said, well, why didn't you do something about it? And they said, well, we're waiting for you to come. You know, like a 29-year-old kid just out of seminary is going to know what to do. So I had no clue what to do. So I did what you do when you don't know anything. And I went to the Bible. That's always a good place to go if you don't know what you're doing. And I looked at Matthew 18, and it talks about how that when there's a cancer in your church, you need to deal with it. And so we went through that process. We, I went and talked to Ed, myself, and a couple of deacons. We told him that his life, he was hurting his family. His, he was breaking his wife's heart. He was sinning against God. He was sinning against the church, sinning against his family. Asked him to repent. He kicked us out of his house. And so we took the next step, and we went through, again, the biblical mandate in Matthew 18, and we literally told our church, have nothing to do with this man, not because uh, you don't like him or love him, because you do love him, 
You better love him. He's your brother, right? But you do that so that he will feel the full weight of his sin, repent, turn back to God, and come back to the church. That's the purpose of church discipline. It's never to punish. It's never to cast somebody out and make them go away. The purpose of church discipline is always to redeem them, to have them reconciled to the church and to God, and to bring them back. So all of that happened, and uh, after that, Ed stood in front of the church. He reconciled with his wife, even though it was very difficult, as you would expect. Uh, but they went to counseling. He stood in front of the church. He confessed his sin. He said to the church how sorry he was, how much he'd hurt his wife and his family, and how much he'd hurt the church. And he said, I've repented, and please love me again. Please accept me back. And so that was that service that we had. And I thought everything was great until I heard the following week how many people, especially women who were good friends of Lenore's, Ed's wife, right, had taken up an offense for her. I can see why that would happen. We would all probably do that. And we're very angry at what Ed did. And they said, no, we will not forgive. I know he stood up in front of the church and he said, blah, 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 but we will not forgive. And that was the elephant in the living room of the church. The problem no longer was Ed. The problem was now the lack of forgiveness in the body of Christ. And it took us months to deal with that. As a young pastor, again, I had to preach. I preached for 10 weeks on forgiveness. And, and we were trying to figure out how to do this. And yeah, we should be mad at Ed for that. But yes, we're supposed to forgive him. And what do we do? This is exactly the same situation that Paul found himself in. So here's the backstory. In 1 Corinthians, we have a story of a man... Paul writes about a man who has been having sex with his stepmother. Twisted guy, okay? Just a knothead. And he's one of the leaders of the church. And so this is a cancer in the church, and Paul says, you've got to deal with this, okay? And so now, now we're not sure exactly if that's the incident that caused Paul to speak in 2 Corinthians. Most Bible scholars believe it is, so we're going to assume that it is, and that Paul spoke to that in 2 Corinthians and basically said to the church, you know, you still haven't taken care of this. So here's what we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. Paul is now referring back to this incident that happened when he was with them for 18 months in Corinth and that they hadn't cast that guy out of the church. Here's what he says. I am not overstating it when I say that the man who caused all the trouble hurt all of you more than he hurt me. Now, the reason Paul's saying that is because you're, he, he was right in the middle of your church. I was off in Rome or in Ephesus, you know, starting other churches. I wasn't there, so I know how hurt you were by this man's presence and by what he did, okay? Most of you opposed him, and that was punishment enough. Now, however, it is time to forgive and comfort him. It's like those women in the church at Mount Wheel Covenant Church who said, no, he hurt our friend, and we feel badly for her, and we just won't forgive him. That's kind of what you were hearing them say. It's time to forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, he may be overcome by discouragement. So I urge you now to reaffirm your love for him. Now, Paul before said, you guys haven't treated him the right way. You haven't uh, disciplined him. You haven't separated from him. You haven't, now that the man has repented and come back to Christ, the church is saying, we don't want anything to do with him. Better, better stay away. We don't want any part of him. Because, Paul said, no, he's, he's repented. He's turned back to God. You can't forsake him now. You can't turn your back on him. He's your brother in Christ. You need to forgive him. And so that's what Paul was saying there. So then he goes on. I wrote to you as I did to test you and see if you would fully comply with my instructions. When you forgive this man, I forgive him too. 
And when I forgive whatever needs to be forgiven, listen, I do so with Christ's authority for your benefit. What a great phrase. Christ's authority, you and I can't forgive people of their sin, right? We can't forgive ourselves of our sin, but through Christ's authority for your benefit so that Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. Okay, this is what was happening in the church in Corinth. Paul was faced with this problem. Now, the man had done terrible things, and you can read about that in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 to 5. It talks about specifically that he did this. He was having sex with his stepmother. He was being told to be pushed out of the church, not so that he would go to the devil, but so he would be saved ultimately. And that phrase that's used is that um, he would be given over to Satan. Now let me tell you what that phrase means, to be given over to Satan. It means literally to say, okay, you're choosing this path. We're telling you that's a dead end. We're telling you that's not Christ's way. We're telling you we love you. You can't do this. You're hurting your wife. You're hurting your family. You're hurting the church. You can't do this. This is the way you need to walk. This is the way you need to turn. Jesus is over here. And the man says, no, 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 and no. Finally, they say basically, turn him over to Satan means literally say, turn him over to his no. Turn him over to his no. You want to follow Satan's way? You go right ahead. We're going to turn our backs on you, not that forever, because we hope that you'll repent and turn back. But we are letting you embrace your no and feel the full weight of that sin. So that's what was going on with Paul. He said, you need to forgive him because he has now repented and come back. Always be prepared to forgive and restore. Always be prepared to err on the side of grace. Always welcome that brother or that sister back into the fellowship by forgiving them. Now, this is the backdrop of this great teaching on forgiveness. Paul was asking them to do something that was out of their comfort zone. How many times have you been told, well, yeah, your father abused you when you were a kid, but you need to forgive him. Yeah, your husband beat you up a little bit, but you know what? He's sorry, so you need to forgive him. So this teaching gets very complicated and very deep. And this morning, what I'd like to do is investigate from the New Testament, what it means to forgive. And I want to share with you four principles of forgiveness. All of these come from God's Word. We'll go through them fairly rapidly because then I want to do something else after that. But I want to give you four principles of forgiveness that comes out of this text. The first principle is this. Forgiveness is commanded by God. Forgiveness is commanded by God. Now, whether you want to forgive or whether you think this is just a suggestion when I feel like forgiving. No, forgiveness is commanded by God. And let me share with you a verse from Colossians 3, a couple of verses that some of you have heard of before. This is Paul's teaching in Colossians. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, okay, you're one of his, you belong to Jesus, Because God chose you to be one of the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves, put on, wrap around with tender-hearted mercy, put on tender-hearted mercy, put on kindness, wrap it around you like a cloak, put on humility, your socks, right? Put on gentleness and patience, your hat and your overcoat. You're fully clothed in God's presence and his graces. And then he says in verse 13, make allowance for each other's faults. That's a little bit harder. And forgive anyone who offends you. That's really harder. 
And he says, why? Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. See, that's the reason we are called to forgive others, because the most godlike thing you'll ever do in your life is to forgive another human being. The most godlike thing you'll do in your whole experience, your whole, a whole walk with Jesus, is to forgive another person. Uh, in fact, every other religion has only a little bit of room for forgiveness. And they certainly don't tell you you're supposed to forgive uh, your enemies. But you're supposed to forgive people that are ap apologetic and they make amends and all of that. But what God is saying here, I am commanding you to forgive. Why? Because Jesus forgives you of all your sins. And here's another reason why. If you don't forgive, you will receive and you will experience a root of bitterness. And that root of bitterness will grow in you. And it will be stale and rancid. And you will not be able to survive and live and live joyfully and and, and beautifully in your life if you have this unforgiveness inside of you. So forgiveness is not an option, God says. Forgiveness is commanded by God. In the text it says, you must. Why? Because Jesus forgives us of all of our sins and because if you don't, you will be the one that suffers, not the person who hurt you. You'll be the one that suffers because you'll have that root of bitterness within you. Principle number one, forgiveness is commanded by God. Principle number two, forgiveness is commended by God. Now, you know what commend means? It means to entrust, to deliver, to commit, to assign to someone else. God commends us, assigns us the responsibility, I would say even the privilege. God commends us, assigns us the privilege of forgiving others, hear this, on his behalf. Isn't that beautiful? We have the privilege of assigning God's forgiveness on behalf of someone else, on behalf of God. There are times uh, we do it at communion. I've done it at other times. I remember Pastor Brandon did it once. Um, there are times when we say to you as a congregation, after we have a time of confession, a time of forgiveness, and we're going to do that at the close of the service, we have a time of forgiveness, then we declare to you these words. Jesus said that if you ask... If you ask to be forgiven, if you ask him and receive his forgiveness, then he is faithful and he is just to forgive you of all your transgressions and give you a life that you can't even believe. We first John, we first John 1 9 you. And we say, you know, if, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you all from all unjust. Now I can't forgive you of your sins, but God can. So on behalf of God, I proclaim that to you that your sins are forgiven. We commend the forgiveness of God to others by literally taking God's forgiveness and saying, I forgive you as well. I plant this forgiveness on you. God chooses to love you. I choose to love you. God is entrusting us with his forgiveness to pour out, to lavish on other people. So um, when I was at um, a midwinter conference a few years ago, uh, for those of you that are new, I had a time in my life where I was really broken by my own sin. I was a gambling addict and I was out of the ministry for three years and God restored me, thanks be to my heavenly father. But during those years, I, was, I had sinned against my church at Roseville Covenant Church. I had sinned against my wife, my staff, everybody there and I hurt them. And before I moved away from Minnesota, I got together with the church. The pastor asked me to join him, and I asked for their forgiveness. And many of them forgave me, but many of them did not. 
Many of them said, I, I still don't want to forgive you. I don't know if you're sincere. I want to see, make sure you're sincere. This is three years after the fact. And so there was probably 100 people that said, nope, I'm not sure I'm ready to forgive you. It's like, you know, waiting. I, I, you hurt me and I don't want to forgive you. And so we have to leave each person with their walk. And even as I tell you that, it makes me feel sad and broken inside that I did that to other people. I did that to a congregation, but God has forgiven me and so have they, most of them. And so, so fast forward several years and I'm at a midwinter conference and one of the women from Roseville Covenant Church is now a pastor. And her name's Wendy. And Wendy comes up to me and she said, Dwayne, can I talk to you? And I thought, oh, this could be good because the last time I talked to her, she just lambasted me. And she said, first of all, I want to tell you something. I said, okay, Wendy, I'm, you know, I'm guilty. Tell me whatever you want to tell me. She said, I want you to know that I forgive you. And I said, well, thank you. That, I mean, she's commending God's forgiveness to me. She may not fully feel it. That's okay. You don't have to fully feel it. That'll come later. But she said, I'm extending, I'm commending my forgiveness to you. And so I forgive you. And I said, thank you. That means the world to me. And after that, she said, I, I have to tell you one more thing. I said, what's that? She said, I have to ask for your forgiveness. I have held this root of bitterness. I have held this this unforgiveness in my soul and has affected my life, it has affected my ministry, it has affected my health, would you please forgive me? And of course, I embraced her and I said, of course you're forgiven. And again, I, I, I apologize for act, being the, the genesis of this whole thing, but there was this great sense of reconciliation because she not only received God's forgiveness, she extended God's forgiveness to me and then I was able to extend God's forgiveness to her. Forgiveness is commended by God. Principle number three, forgiveness confounds Satan. Now that sounds kind of weird. Forgiveness confounds Satan. Let's look at uh, this, uh, verses 10 and 11 in the text again. When you forgive this man, I forgive him too. And when I forgive whatever needs to be forgiven, I do so with Christ's authority for your benefit, listen, so that Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. Do you know what I believe number one evil scheme of Satan is? Getting you to not forgive. Getting you to hold on to your forgiveness and not extend it. Getting you to say, no, that person hasn't made amends. That person hasn't apologized to me. Holding on to that sin, which always, Paul says, becomes a root of bitterness. Always, if unforgiveness stays inside of you. Satan's number one way to get you off track as a believer, is unforgiveness. Holding on to something that God wants you to release to him. Now, we know that Satan's tool, he is a deceiver, he is a liar, and we know that his tool, you, you've heard of the movie, The Horse Whisperer? And there's, uh, you've seen the, the YouTube around that guy that whispers to the horse and he tames him? Well, Satan is the sin whisperer. Okay, he always wants to whisper in your ears things such as this. Go ahead and do that. That's going to feel good. Go ahead and do that. It's okay. Nobody's going to know. Go ahead and do that. Or he says something like this. You know what? That wasn't such a bad thing. You, you know, God doesn't really care if you do this. And there's constant whispering and getting you to fall, getting you to fail, getting you to give in, cave to temptation, getting you to sin. So he's a sin whisperer. But once a person comes to Christ, once a person embraces Jesus, I think the number one way he wants to attack us is by getting us not to forgive. That's what this text says here. Paul said the church at Corinth was experiencing the same thing. 
Don't let Satan outsmart you. That's what he says. Don't let Satan outsmart you. When you forgive someone, Satan is perplexed. He is confused. He is confounded. He is exasperated. He does not understand forgiveness. It is out of his realm of understanding. He says, I don't know what this is all about. You guys need to embrace the, you know, your anger and your sin. And God says, no, release it. I mean, just think about Jesus on the cross. So Jesus on the cross, from Satan's perspective, is like the greatest victory ever, right? The Son of Man, the Son of God, the Redeemer of the world is hanging up on a cross, the most brutal death you could imagine. Everybody that's looking, almost everybody, probably even the soldiers are saying, what have we done? This innocent man, this good man, why are we doing this to him? Everybody was saying, man, this is ridiculous that we're doing this to you. But Satan is going, yes, I'm winning. I'm winning. They're killing God. They're crucifying Jesus. I'm winning. And then Jesus from the cross utters these words that just completely confound Satan. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them. I release them of any responsibility for what's happening to me on this cross. Father, forgive them. And Satan says, no. I've just got this everything right where I want it. Jesus is dying on the cross. Forgiveness confounds the enemy. Principle number four. Forgiveness is cooperating with God to redeem the world. Forgiveness is cooperating with God to redeem the world. As I said earlier, we are never more like God than when we forgive. So, um, October 19th, 1989, our son Tyler um, is killed in a bicycle automobile accident. He's 10 years old. And uh, we are devastated, as you would expect. And uh, the boy that hit him was a 16-year-old boy, just had learned how to drive. Even though the sun blinded him, it was late afternoon, he didn't see Tyler on the bike. He hit him head on, and, and uh, Tyler was killed. And, um, but even though the sun was in his eyes, and he wasn't really at fault, in my mind, he still really was. Come on. You're 16 years old. Pay attention. If the sun's in your eyes where you can't see anything, pull over. Slow down. Do something. So I'm thinking through all of these things. And, because when you lose somebody that you really love, and it's, a, and it's like that, you want to blame somebody. You desperately want to blame somebody. Because if you don't, you're left with God. And if you blame God, that just doesn't mesh with your faith. So I was trying to find someone to blame. And then about four days after the memorial service, that was the boy that hit him, his name was Bobby Vanek, uh, a junior in a Catholic high school, a great kid. And uh, they, in fact, we didn't realize it until later, but they snuck into the memorial service. They came in the back because they didn't think they'd be welcome. And they sat in the back of the memorial service uh, we went, had to go to a big church because we had so many friends and everybody. And, and so we didn't even know they were there. And, and then Sherry got a relationship with the mom. And Sherry told me four days after Tyler was killed, she said, um, I believe God's telling me we're supposed to go to the Vanix and tell Bobby that we forgive him. And I said, no, no way. She said, I, honey, I believe that this is from the Lord. And if you don't want to, I understand you've got your own, but I need to go and do that. And so, you know, who's going to let their wife be more spiritual than them, you know? So I said, okay, I'll go. And so we went there, and we embraced Bobby. And, we, and by then, I truly was uh, trying to forgive him and let it go. And we forgave him, and we embraced his brother and sister and mom and dad, and we, and we prayed together, and we wept together. It was beautiful. 
And I thank God for my wife that she saw that, that she saw how important that was to us to, to get over, to just move on with our lives. We had to forgive that. And, and as a result, now you can't always guarantee these results because remember, you're commanded to forgive whether you want to or not, regardless of the outcome, you're commanded to forgive. But when we forgave gave Bobby and his family, that whole family came to faith in Christ. All five of them. Today, Bobby's a doctor. He goes to a wonderful church. He's got three children. His firstborn son, and you're not going to be surprised, his firstborn son's name's what? Tyler. <laughs> he named his firstborn son Tyler. And I think to myself, you know, forgiveness is cooperating with the Holy Spirit to redeem the world, to make things better, to say, you know, this, this works. This works. When you hold on to it and it's a bitterness inside you, it kills you. It doesn't kill the person that hurt you, but it kills you. Let go and cooperate with the Holy Spirit to redeem the world. So that, that's what I want to share with you, these four principles. Uh, forgiveness is commanded by God. Forgiveness is commended by God. Forgiveness confounds Satan. And forgiveness is cooperating with the Holy Spirit to redeem the world. Forgiveness is life-altering. Forgiveness is life-changing. It is life-affirming. It will do all of this for you. Now, that's the teaching, Okay. Now, I know some of you are still saying, okay, I, I hear it. I even kind of feel it a little bit. But man, you don't know what my dad did to me when I was a kid. I've heard women say this all the time. If they were sexually abused by a father or by an uncle or somebody, and I say, oh, I know, I know how hard that must be. So those questions are still hanging out there. So here's what I want to do with the rest of our time. I want to talk about what forgiveness is not. Okay, we now have established what forgiveness is, biblically, those four principles. Now I want to talk to you for the rest of the time about what forgiveness is not. And I think this will help answer some of those questions that are just kind of dangling above your head and in your heart. All of these truths come out of God's Word. We won't go through all the scriptures, but I can get those for you if you want them. But let me tell you what forgiveness is not. The first thing is this. Forgiveness is not approving or diminishing the sin. Someone has sinned against you. Someone has hurt you. And, and by saying, well, that wasn't really a sin. Or, you know, he hit me, but he didn't really mean to. Or, it's not that big of a deal. Forgiveness is never approving or diminishing sin. Well, it's no big deal. Well, you know what? When someone sins against you, it is a big deal. Let me tell you why. It's a big deal because Jesus had to die on the cross for that guy's sin or that gal's sin. That's how big of a deal that sin is that somebody committed to you. That's how big of a deal it is when somebody hurt you that way. They sinned and it cost Jesus his life on the cross to pay for that sin. It is a big deal. Do not approve or diminish sin. That's not what forgiveness is. Secondly, forgiveness is not enabling sin. Well, you know, my husband beat me but he said he was sorry, and so I'm going to let him back in the house. And No, forgiveness is not enabling someone to continue in bad behavior. Well, you know, my wife is an addict, but it's not really her fault. It's just a, you know, it's just a, a sickness. And no, 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 forgiveness is not enabling sin. Sometimes we have to confront and rebuke. It's called tough love. It's Christ's kind of love. Sometimes we just say, no, I forgive you but no, you're not back in the house. Number three, forgiveness is not denying a wrongdoing. 
well, it didn't happen, or I forgot all about it, I've put it out of my mind, I've moved on. No, forgiveness is not denying that you were sinned against. That doesn't help you, and that doesn't help the person who sinned against you. Forgiveness is not denying a wrongdoing. Number four, forgiveness is not waiting for an apology. Well, I'll forgive you when you apologize to me. Well, I'll forgive you when you make amends to me. Well, I'll forgive you when you've fixed out whatever you've done. No, no. Remember, you are commanded to forgive because if you don't, you're not hurting that person. You're hurting yourself. You are to let it go, to release it. Let God be the judge. Let God be the vengeance. Let God take care of that other person. You release it. You let it go. Because I'll tell you why. If you're waiting for someone to make amends or you're waiting for someone to say they're sorry, often in life, maybe I would say most of the time in life, it's never going to happen because that person is not right with God, that person hasn't done their work, that person hasn't received God's forgiveness, so they're not doing the same thing. So if you're trying to wait for somebody, you're going to lose that every time. Forgiveness is not waiting for an apology. Number five, forgiveness is not, please hear this one, friends, forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgive and forget is a Christian myth. If you were raped as a child, if you were molested, if you were abandoned, if you were beaten, if you were abused, if you were cheated on, those things are not easily forgotten. And I don't think as human beings we're wired to ever forget those things. So don't ever confuse. You say, well, you know, I've forgiven, but I still remember it. Well, of course you do. You were hurt. Grievously, someone sinned against you. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Now, the pain diminishes, and sometimes you don't think about it for long periods of time, and that's a, that's a grace from God. Only God is the one, in Jeremiah it says that God says, I will remember their sin no more. But you know what? When it says that about God, that doesn't mean God has a bad memory. God doesn't have a bad memory at all. Let me, let me say what, what it does mean when it says he will remember their sin no more. God is choosing to not interact with you and I based on what we've done, but based on what Christ has done. That's why he can remember our sins no more, not because he doesn't have a good memory, but he is choosing to not interact with you and I based on our sins, but based on what Christ has done to redeem our sins. Forgive, absolutely, it's commanded, it's commanded. Forget, no, especially for those of you who've had cataclysmic pain done to you, and especially if it happened to you as a child. Forgive, yes. Forget, no. Number six, forgiveness is not ceasing to feel the pain. Forgiveness is not ceasing to feel the pain. If you forgive someone, you're hoping that, okay, now I'm going to feel better all of a sudden. It just doesn't work that way. Tyler, when he was killed, I forgave Bobby Vanek. I let that go. I released that to the Father, and God did some great things in the Vanek family as a result of that. But I still feel pain every time I think about Tyler. Every time I think about Tyler. It's 24 years later. Tyler would have been 34 years old uh, on October 12th. It still hurts, and it'll always hurt. The forgiveness is taken care of. I forgave, I forgave Bobby. I forgave God because I had anger towards God too. I did my forgiveness, but the pain is still there. Forgiveness is not ceasing to feel the pain. Number seven, forgiveness is not 
a one-time event. I know how desperately some of you want it to be. Just, I'm going to forgive them and then it'll all go away. Sometimes, especially if the sin was grievous, sometimes you have to pray over and over and over again. God, I forgive them again. I release them to you. God, I forgive them again. I release them to you. And sometime, and this is the tricky part, sometimes that sin keeps coming. It's not just happened one time. It happened five times. 10 times. You're not know, you don't know when it's going to happen again. You still have to forget, but that does not mean that it was a one-time event. Forgive, forgive, forgive. Sometimes people keep sinning against you, and you still have to keep releasing and forgiving them. That, I mean, that's why sin is so insidious, because Satan wants you to hold on to that unforgiveness. Forgiveness is not a one-time event. Number eight, forgiveness is not neglecting justice. You forgive someone, and then you still pick up the phone and call the police. You forgive someone, you still have them arrested. You forgive someone, you still testify in court. But I thought you forgave me. I did. But you committed a crime, and there are consequences to that. You broke the law. You've stolen something. Pay it back. You lied. Tell the truth. You hurt someone. Make amends. You can forgive, and you still pursue justice. In fact, I think, even though I can't find a specific verse for that, you can forgive and you must always seek justice. Number nine, forgiveness is not trusting. I get this all the time, especially from women because I think women's hearts are more tender towards God. I get this all the time. Well, my dad molested me when I was a child and he said he was sorry. Uh, Can he babysit my kids? No. No way. Well, my husband or my boyfriend hit me, but he said sorry. So can we pick up where we left off? No. Trust is built slowly. Now, especially for women, it's lost quickly. It is lost quickly, but trust is built slowly. You can forgive someone and still be very cautious and should be around certain situations. As your pastor I just want to say this. If someone has hurt you grievously, you need to forgive them. You need to let that go. But build up trust slowly, especially if it's something recent. Go very slowly with that. Make sure that you see the fruits of repentance. Some people are never to be trusted again, ever, even if it's a relative, especially when it comes in regards to children. I think if the Apostle Paul was commenting on this, he would say something like this. You know, uh, I, uh, forgive the man that was sleeping with this, this stepmother, but don't let your stepmother hang around him. Okay, that's what he would say. So, you know, don't be smart about it, right? Forgiveness is not trusting. Trust is built slowly. It can be rebuilt. And finally, forgiveness, and this is really important, forgiveness is not reconciliation. Well, but I've forgiven that person for the thing they did to me, and I, I, I feel warmly towards them again, and I want to walk towards them, but that person on a different journey, maybe they haven't forgiven you, or maybe they're still holding a grudge or any number of things. And Forgiveness takes one person. Repentance takes one person. Reconciliation takes two people. Paul said, Inasmuch as it's possible with you, seek to live at peace with all men. On your end, as much as possible, seek to live at peace with all men. 
But that doesn't mean that there's going to be reconciliation. If somebody hurts you and they haven't repented, you forgive them, but that doesn't mean you have to reconcile with them. You have to keep that safe distance. You deal with your heart, you forgive, and sometimes reconciliation is not possible, and sometimes it's not beneficial. Okay, I, I know that's hard to hear, that's hard news to hear, but it's true. It takes one person to repent, it takes one person to forgive, it takes two people to reconcile. But he's my father. I know he's your father. I just, I don't want to stay in a relationship with him. I understand that. But if your father hasn't repented and changed, you just need to stay away. Repentance takes one. Forgiveness takes one. Reconciliation takes two. So here are the 10 things that forgiveness is not. I'd like to close uh, this morning, uh, the time of prayer with each of us. And during that time of prayer, I'd like to um, ask some questions. And if you're, if you're on 12-step understanding, um, you'll recognize this phrase. I'm asking you this morning to do a fearless moral inventory. Uh, take a microscope on your soul. And as you do that, I want you to understand what God is trying to say to you this morning. And uh, so I'd invite you, first of all, if you would, to bow your heads. And I'm going to ask you a series of uh, questions. And I'd like each of these questions, I, I'd like you to feel what the question is. I'd like you to allow the Holy Spirit into your thoughts, into your thinking. And there may be someone that you identify that you need to make action toward, but, but this is a time of fearless, and I mean fearless moral inventory. Don't be a chicken. Don't back away from your own brokenness, your own sin. A fearless moral inventory. Here's question number one. Is there someone you need to forgive? A family member? A brother or sister at church? A person you go to school with? A person you work with? Who do you need to forgive? Allow the Spirit to speak into that. Question number two. Is there someone you have hurt that you need to ask for their forgiveness. Be very clear here. The scripture is very clear. We are called to, when we sin against somebody, we are called to go to them and make amends and to ask for their forgiveness. Is there someone you have hurt that you need to ask for their forgiveness? Let the Spirit speak into your soul. Number three, and this is a little bit harder for some of us. Is there someone who is far away or even dead or unreachable that you need to forgive? Is there some way, is there someone who is far away or unreachable that you need to forgive? Again, once again, let the Spirit speak into that. And the last question is this, and this might be the most difficult one of all. Is there a secret sin or a, a secret brokenness within you that you've never confessed? You've never confessed it to God. You've never confessed it to another human being. Is there something in your soul that's just broken and just can't be fixed by willpower? Is there some sin in your soul that you need to address? Let the Spirit speak into that.
Heavenly Father, we need your forgiveness, first of all. We can't breathe without it. We can't live a moment without it. We need your forgiveness for our sins. But Father, we also have to do the work of forgiveness with people around us, our family, our friends, our enemies. And so, Father, I pray that in this space, this moment, that each of us would be able to do that work with you of identifying who we need to forgive and who needs to forgive us and that we need to do that work of making amends. And so, Father, in this quiet moment, may we speak the words of, 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 of forgiveness and receive your forgiveness and promise to give that forgiveness to others. brothers and sisters in Christ. I declare and affirm this word from God. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And this morning, I declare for each of you that if God has placed on your heart someone that you need to forgive or someone that you need to make amends to, that, that you would do that before this day is out, if possible. That you would do that work of forgiveness. Why? Because Jesus has forgiven us. Thank you, Father, for your tr this truth. And thank you, Father, for open hearts to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen.